Welcome friends, I am Cindy Thompson and this is a Resilience Project. This is a space where stories are shared and possibilities are discovered. I invite you to partner with me in cultivating resilience among humans, one conversation at a time. Linda and Frank Seitz have been married for 52 years and will tell you that together they make one person. Frank, who is 75 years old now, will be talking today about what it was like to lose three older brothers to kidney disease when they were in their 20s, and believing at the time that he too would not be living for long. Frank and Linda both worked at the Brandon Mental Health Center in Brandon, Manitoba, and combined have quite the story of resilience, hope, and encouragement. Frank, now legally blind, and Linda recovering from her second mastectomy and cancer treatments, they truly are a reminder of how we are stronger together. So today I am interviewing Linda and Frank Seitz from Brandon, Manitoba, my hometown. And I'm so excited to have the two of you here today. We're so happy to be here with you. Thank you. It's kind of neat, our connection that we ended up having, because both of you worked at the Brandon Mental Health Center at the psychiatric uh, facility there where I trained in my early days of training as a psychiatric nurse. And as I understand, Linda, you are a psychiatric nurse. And Frank, you worked as a psychiatric nurse assistant. Well, and I love that connection because to me, I feel this kindred spirit to the both of you knowing that you both have worked there. Well, you know, it's a real family affair, that place. In the past, everybody seems to congregate there and become good friends. Well, and my sense is when working in that field, you do need to. It's not an easy field to work in. And so the staff do tend to bond and connect together. And I'm imagining the two of you brought a lot of stories home together that you would have had in common. And a lot of our friends from there have remained friends. It's like co-workers became like friends and family. And you've learned a lot about personality and people. So gain a knowledge that you never got anywhere else in the world because of the positions that you had carried through life, which makes it so much wonderful in your old age because you can always sit back and reminisce. Nice to have those kind of friends around you still. Why don't we talk a little bit about you guys and what you have both combined and individually been through over the course of your your married life together and even prior. So, Frank, can we start with you? Because when I learned about the kidney disease in your family, tell me how that impacted you. On my early stage, I am was eight years old when this first brother was diagnosed with kidney failure and died. And the doctor took uh, our family, my two brothers and me, he said, what's going to happen getting this disease like your brothers and your life could be short. When you're that young, you look at the negative side and you say, oh, what the hell are you going to do? You got a sentence to death. You could be gone by the time you're a teenager or early 20s. You disregard the positive side. So you do a lot of stupid things that you wouldn't have done if you'd been growing up in a normal situation. There was four boys in the family? Yes. I was the youngest. And you were the youngest. So to watch that and to witness the grief and the loss and experience that for you personally, and then you're suggesting that you really kind of tried to pack as much as you could into those years following, not knowing how long you would have. 
Well, you have a very immature um, thought to this because you're so young. I don't, you went out of your way to um, have a good time. Yes. I, I have no regrets that, other than the fact that I learned too much too little and too young. So you, you, you adapt. Your life adapts to where you are in my life is. I've put a good spin on my life rather than a negative one. Well, I really admire that. And tell me, how old are you now, Frank? I'm exactly 75 as of a month ago. As a 75-year-old, if you could go back and send a message back to that young man who was going through that, what would you say to him now? I don't think I changed much in my life because I was a lucky person because I could adapt. I could, I could fluctuate and enjoy what, what was given me. Being very uh, involved very spiritually in the church, it was a big asset to my life because it gave me a, a real positive outlook because um, Christianity itself, for me, was something that I could hold on to and it gave me a positive look. Altogether, my life has been very good under the circumstances that I was dealt. So, and then I was very fortunate because I, I had gone through life with a whole bunch of good people to support me and, and guide me, so it was good. And for what it was, it was really good. And I hear that often that people will say they wouldn't trade those hard parts for anything because that's where they learned a lot about themselves. Well, I think hard parts are within everybody's life. And if you, you try to eliminate them, you take a very important part of your life and put the wrong spin on it. What I think is important for people to also know is that maybe just a short time after retirement, you started to struggle with kidney disease again. Lost my eyesight just prior to my retirement. I was 59 and then found out last year before the doctor told me that I was in fourth state kidney failure, just like my brother said. So consequently, I was very fortunate because I never got caught the disease to that point until I was an old man. And when you're, when you're 75 years old, you can look at life with a little bit more optimism. What, what is it that brings you joy today, knowing that you maybe can't see anymore? The, the vision itself has not been a, a great negative. I mean, it, it took away a lot of the things that I like to do, but they've been fulfilled with um, different things that you do. I've, I've become a lot more content in life. I've read a lot of um, material from the talking books. I've um, socialized much closer with people and become more attentive to what the world is offering around you. And you have to grasp what's there and enjoy. And fortunately, I had a very good uh, relationship with my friends and I had a great relationship with my wife. And my children are all very, very supportive. So consequently, lucky enough, I have a great support system to carry the half the burden that I carry away for myself. And, and that sounds like an important piece, not only for one to have a sense of hope and faith, but also that support, the people being around you that care about you, love you, community. And I understand you have many, many friends. Well, you should have friends in life because most things that are very important are your friends because they carry you through the hard times. And you, you'd carry them through the hard times. So you share in a lot of, um, I mean, it's, it's easy to have fun all the time and, and be up. But it's, it's not the reality of life. Life does not deal you a good deck of cards all the time. And sometimes you have to bluff a bit. I heard an interesting piece just recently on the neuroscience of comparing 
someone who's lost their sight to someone who's lost their hearing. And what they suggested in this is that people who have lost their hearing really lose connection with people in a much greater way because they can't hear and have those conversations. Well, if I pick blindness to deafness, I would pick blindness. And that's actually what they said, because you can still continue to be connected and converse with people and hear their stories and share experiences. And that can make a big difference in one's mental health after losing one of those senses. Well, I think it's a big, a big factor in your, in your mental health because you do continue to correspond and proverbially with everybody and you can hear what the world has got to offer. But if you're blind, you can see it and you've really got to take a lot of effort to correlate the two from what you see to what they're saying and what, what life is going on around you. So I think hearing is far more important than sight. The sight is more important than deaf because you can hear the, the world itself. You hear the birds, you hear you hear the traffic, you hear everything, and, and you can sit down and have a conversation. And conversation in uh, human kind is very important because you've got to be able to um, share with people the, each day. And if you're blind, you, you share, but if you're deaf, you, um, I think you miss out on that. If I had my, my, my druthers, I would rather be blind than deaf. What stands out for me about that is just your attitude. When I think about all that you've experienced individually and as a couple, and for you to say to me on the phone about a week ago, Cindy, I have no stress. That was just awe-inspiring. Well, stress is something that you got to deal with. And, and I have no stress because I pass it on to all my friends and family. <laughs> You're very kind that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate hearing just some pieces of your story and thank you, Frank, for being willing to share some of your sights on those things. No pun intended. Well, it's good to be able to see the humor in it. Life is, life is a humorous thing if you want to find it. If you want to be negative, life ain't much. But I am very fortunate because I do have a great support system, and I have a wonderful wife, that, um, and to, to share each other's trials and tribulations, to be there for each other is a very important part of life because you have to carry each other through the negatives. And you can also share in the joys. The joys are what really are the important. Yes, that's the antidote to the hard time. That is truly true. Speaking of your beautiful wife, why don't we hear from her a little bit as well about some of her journey. And Linda, you have been through cancer now twice. Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your story around, I think it was 2009 that you first had been diagnosed with breast cancer? Yes. Uh, and actually, we went to Ontario to our son lives there. And we were going to look after his father in law who has Alzheimer's while the mother was away having surgery. Uh, of course, Frank was blind. I drove the car there to Ontario to Wasaga Beach. We actually stayed with the dad out in his house, so we weren't near our family. And I noticed that my breast was getting huge and swollen, and our daughter-in-law works at a, hospital, a clinic, so she got me in to see her doctor. The doctor said, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to refer you to a surgeon. And then he phoned me at home that night and said, I want to see you tomorrow morning at the hospital. And so I went and... He examined me and he wrote on a 
on a requisition I was carrying and I looked down and it said inflammatory breast cancer. Now I knew breast cancer, everybody knows those words, but I didn't know what inflammatory meant. And they did the tests and the, the nurse said, you know, he just gave us a clinic on this last week. It's very, very rare. So I, I'm so grateful that he was there because you have to act on it very quickly on the inflammatory type. And so within 10 days, they had all the tests completed and chemo running directly into my arm. So it was, uh, it was quite a remarkable coincidence that all happened at once. Mm. And that you quickly sought that treatment that you needed. Yes. The usual way is to do a mastectomy, let it heal, then do the chemo. But in the inflammatory, if you wait for the mastectomy to heal, you're going to die. And then somebody said, well, what if we reverse it? What if we do the chemo right off the bat? And so they did that, and it changed the whole course of inflammatory breast cancer. Wow. Very in the right place at the right time. It certainly sounds like it. Absolutely. Tell me what you did with that for you and for community. I don't know specifically. After the fact, I started... um, I guess, presentations that I gave to different groups called Mrs. Magoo's Storybook. And there was just various stories about friends and family, but mostly about living with the blind guy, thus the Mrs. Magoo. <laughs> stories about him and blindness, and but funny stories about cancer, and they were all interwoven. And And then I'd give it to sometimes cancer groups, sometimes church groups, sometimes just nonprofit groups, and sort of spin it to their direction. Did you ever see yourself as a public speaker before that? Oh, no, I'm a terrible public speaker. I'm a fairly good writer, but not a good presenter. But I just kept pushing myself to do it. I can hear the humor that you would have brought forth in those stories. Do you have some of those stories that you might have shared? I have one about the cancer and the blind guy. Sure. It says, now the blind guy was actually very supportive of me during my journey with cancer. He would talk and laugh and recall useless trivia to cheer me up. With inflammatory cancer, the order of treatment is reversed. So first you blast it with the chemo right away, then the mastectomy. So I had a lot of time to contemplate the loss of my breast. One day I was feeling particularly sad and to cheer me up, the blind guy said, You know, I remember reading once in the National Geographic that there were some Amazon women who used to cut off a breast so they could get a better drawback on the bow and arrow. Now, the men in the audience might be thinking, right on, Frank, that should put things in perspective for her. That'll cheer her up. While the women are thinking, are you kidding? And at that time, I did not appreciate his little cheer me up story and sobbed even more. I have absolutely no need to be a strong shot with a bow and arrow. It's a skill I'll never use. But since then, I've time to think about that Amazon woman. There's a sisterhood about her and a strength. And when I hear of archery lessons being offered, I'm very tempted to sign up. But then others wouldn't have a chance and they wouldn't know why. So you really enjoy writing. Yeah. What did that do for you, Linda, in writing some of that material that you would prepare for presentations? I think you do focus on and you look for the moments in your life that might have some humor, might have 
something in it because I don't think there's any fun stories about cancer <laughs> that sure. I know of. So it was nice to say there can be, there can be moments that are funny. So in when you would go out and deliver these speaking opportunities and you would maybe share part of your stories and some of the humor of living with Frank too, just even as a married couple, how was that received? Oh, really good. People would come up to me after. And it's amazing the number of women that have had breast cancer that you wouldn't think. The people that I know, and they'd say, oh, I've had breast cancer too. So I was shocked or else they knew someone really close to them. So everybody knows someone. It's just not my story. That seems to be a thread that is showing up, even as I interview others, that when you speak to someone who's had a similar experience, that brings a sense of community in itself and a sense of not being alone anymore in that journey. That's true, that's for sure. Was that helpful for you as well to hear from others? Not that you would ever wish upon anybody else. Oh, yes. Even because um, most of my stories is about Frank and his blindness. And, and at first you think, well, no one is going to laugh at a joke about a blind guy. But they burst out laughing. They think it's funny. And I'm amazed. Yes, you have to sometimes laugh at, at the most bizarre things because it's real that's what's happening. Well, and just linking back to the psychiatric nursing, I wonder if some of your humor in working in the field also helped you to look at just little bits of fun in moments that might feel really hard and dark as a way of maybe just finding some some bright light in this moment. I wonder if that prepared you for some of the things you then went through. Oh, absolutely. Because the environment we worked in, although I guess if you were just coming across it, you think, well, this is a hard, harsh place to work, but not so. Most of the people that I talk with, our former workmates, say, that was such a wonderful place. That was, that was a good place. We, we come away feeling good in our hearts, not only with things that were accomplished, but our relationships that have stood for years and years now. And I wonder, maybe knowing that you weren't psychiatric nursing anymore, I wondered if going out into the community and still helping others filled a bit of a void for you that you didn't realize you still needed. Oh, for sure, because you, you reach a point after your retirement or, or even as you age and you think, what is my purpose? What do I need to do? And uh, that was something that really did fill for a while. I don't haven't given the talk now for probably over a year or two. So, um, but that that did. I think it's important to identify that your cancer came back in this past year. Yes, it did, and this was the garden variety type. So I had the second mastectomy in February, followed by some months of chemo there. So I'm just finished with that now. Everything's good. The tests shown that right now I'm cancer free. The tests are all clear. So here we go again. I'm so pleased that so far it looks really good. The picture is healthy. And what a year to go through that again. Actually, the COVID actually in some ways helped because there was nowhere to go. 
I could just stay home and, and heal sort of thing. The only time I went out was for chemo. And uh, yeah, it was good. It was just like the two of us against the world, you know. Well, and when I first chatted with the two of you, what stood out for me is for you to say, together, you make one person after that many years together. Oh, yeah. And especially with Frank's blindness, that's maybe the obvious one. But there's other things that I rely so much on Frank for, just his knowledge and supportiveness and and whatever. So, yeah, we've been together a very long time. Well, and it made me think about asking the two of you, when you go through difficult times like that, some people might crater under it. Some people may not be able to withstand the longitudinal picture of illness. What wisdom would you share with others that might have been your secret sauce to help make that work? We were just saying last night, it was not a good day yesterday, a good friend of ours has died. And we were saying, well, we have to do this talk on resilience. We are not the poster people for resilience. We're having a rotten day. Hmm. So we decided resilience is not an upward line at all. There's many days you go down to the valleys, and that was something we we realized that it's not every day is going to be better than the next. It is not at all. But maybe Frank can speak more to the things that have helped him through the dark days. Well, the biggest thing is to realize that it isn't a, an even keel. It's like a rubber ball. You bounce it off and enough, and once in a while it gets away on you. So you got to retract it and find it and start over. So you just look to find things in life and work your way through them through the negatives because there are negatives every day there's a or every so often you get a real negative and this has been a hard year on me with uh, my friends passing i've lost about six of them this year between january and now so it gives you different thoughts so you have to um give your give your whole life a new spin because those are things you can't change so you have to deal with you have to look but the bright side of that, and there are bright sides of, of um, the relationships you carry through those years. Life does not stop because you pass, and life goes on because you have memories. And memories are what brings you through the negatives in life. So without, without any really good memories, it would be very difficult to um, be able to have an upper smile on life every day. But you have to rely on other people and, and the, the things you've done in your life and the pleasures you've had and the, and the joys, along with the negatives, because negatives are always a necessary thing. I mean, that's how life is. Life is not going to be a bed of roses every day. Family's very good, very supportive to us, from our, our kids to the siblings and just family being there. And, and friends are absolutely wonderful. And the telephone in these times of COVID, the daily talks on our line are, are on and on. <laughs> But I listened to Frank's metaphor of the ball against the wall, and sometimes you have to, it gets away on you and you have to bring it back. And what I think I hear in that is that maybe taking some personal responsibility for your own well being when you are in one of those valleys so that you're not looking outward at your partner to say, you're not making me happy, but you're really identifying what do I need to make myself happy first? That's a very important factor. You can always blame somebody for something. But if you don't take responsibility, you'll never get over that because you're still looking for the blame. 
and it's not the blame. It's that's what you can find in the in the um, process. That yes, I just a negative moment. I have to do something because if I don't do it, it's going to remain negative. And the longer it's negative, the long farther down the line you're going to go. The deeper into whatever you can end up in a real depression or anything else that along with it. So consequently, you have to force yourself to look at the bright side of life. And then the bright side of life is good if you can find it. So can we just maybe for a few minutes also touch on some current volunteer work the two of you are doing? And because I'm wondering how this may tie in to your sense of resilience in recent years. My understanding is that you've also been doing some work with the immigration community. Can you tell us just a little bit about that and what that brings for you? Well, it first started when we retired and I said to Frank, we need to do something. And at that time, they had a program where you could help newly arrived immigrants to settle in the country. So we signed up for that. We got a family right away. In fact, we got two families and our relationship with them was remarkable. It just, just the whole thing of actually being able to physically help somebody. Like they arrived from Ethiopia in sandals and uh, it was October. And we think, oh, they, they don't have anything. They don't have shoes. They don't have boots. They don't. <laughs> so, you know, the scrambling to, to get things. And I remember saying to, to the lady, uh, you know, we found most everything, but I can't find you a, a table and chairs. And then the phone rang and this guy said, I don't know you, but I work with a friend of yours. She was saying, you're, you're looking for some furniture. He said, I have a table and chairs in my garage. Do you think you could use that? Wow. That's how it started. But we, many families that we've helped settle, and we still are in contact with them today. Yes, they, they periodically get in touch with us, or we get in touch with them, and they and they still are finding joy in, in the original contact that we mm-hmm. had with them. And that makes you feel really good because you've known you've helped somebody to find a life that's much better than what they left behind. Mm-hmm. So, and then you give them a stability that they needed at that moment in the, in the time that they came. We also have taken through the years, many, many, I will call them borders, but they're people that are going to university or college or just need a place to stay and they end up here. This is the only year I don't think we've had any for for years and years, even before we retired. But it was just that people needed a place to stay and they would stay here. But they've also bought, brought us great joy hearing from them again. Or To see that you can make a difference in somebody's life with so little input. You know, it, um, it doesn't take much to bring a positive to people that are in need. And, and same in your life. If, if someone comes along and can say something to make you a positive thought, then that's a wonderful thing, but it doesn't take much to do that. But you need those positive thoughts to be able to get through the the tough times in life. So if you put yourself out there, you'll find a place to to bloom. Well said. Well, and it makes me think about when you are going through so much yourselves, it would be so easy to become insular and really focus on the struggles that you're having right now. And I'm not sure it's going to be for everybody that they're going to have that energy to give to others the way that the two of you have. But I really admire the work that you've done around just either going out, Linda, and speaking publicly and being able to uh, share your story with others and bring some humor 
at a time that it might have been really dark for them or your work with immigrants in knowing that you can just help make somebody else's life a little bit better. And I can hear the joy that brings for you. Is there anything we missed that you think you would just like to put out there as another piece of wisdom or insight? I think faith brings a big part of our life too, and especially to Frank's through his growing up years and through the years still today. And, and with COVID, we can't go to church, but we're able to connect online. And that's become very, very meaningful for us to be able to, to still go to Mass. And it's uh, really, really important that that's part of it. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's so important about this is pulling out the pieces that for each of us, what is it that keeps us going? And it's going to be different for everybody. But I really want to honor that for the two of you, that has been a piece that's given you a sense of strength, of hope and community. Absolutely, yes. Well, I just so really appreciate the two of you being here with me today to chat. And one of the pleasures for me is getting to know people like yourselves and to hear your stories, because it does feel like an honor to have you take that risk to share that with us in such a public format. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking us to do this because if maybe a moment that someone else will get a little bit of inspiration to gain something in their life. So what you're doing is very important. These podcasts that you're doing are very important in, in, in the world that we live in today. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you see it that way. I'm hoping we'll see what it's providing for others But thank you for being with me today. I'm so pleased that we could have a time to have a conversation and get to know each other a little bit better. Thanks so much, Cindy. I am so inspired by this courageous outlook that Linda and Frank seem to maintain despite health challenges. Although we all have stories of adversity in our lives, this couple have a special recipe that has helped them to navigate whatever life brings their way. I love that Frank suggests he has no stress. It seems that in discovering his audiobooks and maintaining his network of friends has brought a sense of connection to the world, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic. Linda's gift for writing became a healthy outlet for her as she captured some of their experiences together and took this, the next step of sharing this message of hope and optimism with others. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Resilience Project. We would not be doing this podcast without you. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story or is helping to build resilience in their community, please email me at cindy at a resilienceproject.com. In fact, email me either way. I would love to hear from you. Also, check out my website, a resilienceproject.com, to meet the amazing people who have joined me on these podcasts. Last but not least, a big thank you to Doris Media House for their editing support. As you go about your week, I invite you to think about one way you can continue to grow your resilience muscle. What is one thing you can start doing today? See you next week.